You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Before we get into our guests today, I just want to go over a few things. Once again, if you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also on our website, millionairesunveiled.com, you can find various resources about the show, more show notes. And also we've got some millionaires that were willing to do interviews with us but did not want to be on the podcast. And we've posted some of those on the website as well. Also, we have some uh, people who have inquired about investment opportunities. We are currently raising capital for some investment in the multifamily space. And if you'd like to uh, look at a couple of those, just email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. So on today's show, we have a bit of a unique interview. We have a couple with us, Mindy and Carl, and their net worth is about $1.9 million. And he says it's about 1.9 if you count his home, cars, and dinosaurs. So that's including the house and everything. He, without the house, he's at about 1.6 million, and that's split pretty evenly between the markets and real estate. And in the stock market, he's more. I guess he's got some in an S and P 500 fund, but he's a lot of single stocks, and then four or five syndication deals in, I believe, multifamily real estate, and then a trailer park. And he runs a blog called 1500days.com, and his goal was at the age of 39 to retire in 1500 days at about the age of 43. And so we talked to him about that goal, what he's doing now, how he's investing his money, how he's allocating money, and he really gives some great advice. So let's get into the interview with, with Mindy and Carl. Awesome. Welcome to Millionaires Unveiled today. We have Carl and Mindy today. Carl, will you give us just a little bit about your background and who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, thanks for having us. So uh, my background is, well, the short version is about five years ago, I had a really, really bad day at work. And uh, the first thought that came into my head was, how am I going to do this? I was only 37 at the time. So I thought, how am I going to do this for the next two or three decades of my life? So I did a Google search, uh, and I think I searched something like, how do I retire early? And uh, this blog came up called Mr. Money Mustache, and uh, this guy was like, I retired at 31. So the first thing I thought is, oh, this guy is running some kind of scam. This is some kind of multi-level marketing or pyramid scheme. But then I started reading through the blog, and it was all legit. The guy was an engineer, and uh, he had all his math on there, so... For him, retirement was just a bunch of numbers. You figure out how much you spend every year, and then you save up enough to account for that spending, and then you can quit your jobs. I'm like, whoa, look at this. So I went down and told my wife, Mindy, who's here, and uh, we made a plan to retire in about 1,500 days, about four years. So that's what I did. Uh, I quit. Uh, But before that, I was a computer programmer, but even before that, I was a biology and chemistry major in college. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but knew I liked science, so I majored in that. I'm pretty clueless, actually. Um, After that, I wound up at pharmacy school just because I couldn't think of anything else better to do with my life. Uh, It didn't take me long to figure out that I would not enjoy life as a pharmacist, so I quit. 
took a computer programming class. It was a short 30-week thing, became a computer programmer, which was a, a great decision. And uh, worked that for under 20 years, and now I don't formally work anymore. So, And what about you, Mindy? Um, I went to college as a fashion design major, which I've been telling this story uh, for a few years now, and I always feel stupid every time I say that because there's like nine famous fashion designers in the world, and then a whole lot of fashion design school graduates who've never worked in the field. Um, I now work for the biggest real estate social network called biggerpockets.com, and between graduating from college and working at Bigger Pockets, I was a stay-at-home mom for nine years. I guess that doesn't account for all the time. What else did I do? Oh, I worked in advertising. Um, I worked in quilting supplies, like all good real estate investors. It's been a serendipitous course for both of us. Awesome. And what is your current net worth? Uh, let's see. With our house and everything, it is it's right under $2 million. It's like 1980000 something, something. Not like I look at it every day, which I actually do. So. Every morning. That's the first <laughs> thing he does every morning is get on the computer and look at the net worth, look at the bank accounts, look at uh, the credit card statements. Awesome. And sometimes at night, too, if the market's had an interesting day. So, <laughs> I don't recommend that, by the way. So let's back up here for just a second in your story. So you decided four years ago or, or back at this time in 2013 that you wanted to kind of retire early, but you obviously had been doing some sort of saving and preparation prior to, was there a goal in mind at, you know, maybe even retiring at 50 or 60 or you just kind of, Hey, I'm going to start saving along the way. Yeah. You know what? There was never a goal like that in mind. It just, when I first heard about this early retirement thing, uh, it kind of blew me out of the water because I had never known anyone to do that. Everyone in my family or any friend I had ever known, any friend of the family had retired when they're 62 or 70. And hell, some of them never retired. They just died at their job or whatever. So it was a foreign concept. But at the same time, we were savers. We had already we had always maxed out our 401ks. We had done some house flips, uh, real estate investing. So we had half of it right. We just didn't know about the early retirement part of it. So it all worked out well. But uh, yeah, had we known, we probably could have even done things a little bit better. But gotcha. Could have so then at the age of 39, give or take, you kind of said, all right, I'm going to make this goal to retire in 1,500 days, right? Yep. And, and where did that come from and why did you pick 1,500 yeah, well, the first thing I did is sit down and try to figure out our spending. And uh, I, I thought we could get by in about $40,000 a year. We would have to tweak our lifestyle a little bit, like get rid of our big, ridiculous house and maybe not go out to eat quite as often. So $40,000. Um, the other half of that is how much we would need to save. And uh, I calculated that based on a 4% rule, which kind of says once you have enough money that you could live off 4% of your savings the first year, uh, you can retire. So 4% of a million dollars is $40,000. So I figured once we had a million dollars, no debt, I could retire. And then the rest of it is kind of fuzzy uh, because you never know how the stock market's going to do, especially after a short amount of time. Four years is kind of a ridiculous time to speculate with this what, on what the stock market's going to do. So I think I just accounted for 10% growth, which is, in retrospect, is pretty aggressive and silly. But 
the market, uh, luckily for me, did much better than that during those four years. And so that took you what th- three and a half? Yeah, it took a million. Me, I think it was. Uh, it was right around three years. It was just over three years. Um, yeah, it was like three years and two months. I think April before. Yeah, it was three years and two months to accumulate the million. Gotcha. And it, actually, we changed our goal a little bit. I decided it'd be silly to pay off our house, so I uh, wanted to account for our mortgage too. So the goal became one million plus whatever our mortgage was, which was one hundred twenty thousand at the time. It would be silly to pay off the mortgage because we have a what three point two five percent interest rate, oh, wow. which is ridiculously low in this uh, historically low interest rate market. It's in our opinion silly to pay off your mortgage when you can do better with that money in the stock market. Um, this is a debate that I hear a lot. Should I pay off my mortgage or should I just keep leveraging? And I understand why somebody would want to pay it off mortgage. That's a really big thing. But then all your money is just sitting in your house doing nothing. So, yeah, silly was probably too strong of a word. I'm sorry if I made anyone mad or for maybe (laughs) (laughs) in our opinion for our, the best choice for us is to not pay off the mortgage, but there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Worked for you. Worked for you guys. So Minnie, so, did you did you like I mean when he comes to this plan, what did you say when you're like fifteen hundred days re- re- retire early? Like what? Oh, this is a good story. So yeah. yeah, this is a great story. He comes downstairs and he says two things. First off, I want to retire early. And second off, he says, I want to start a blog to document my journey. And my thoughts were, yay, go ahead and retire early, because I knew how much stress he was under with his job. <laughs> Um, the second part was like, that's so stupid to start a blog. You're going to run out of things to say. And (laughs) no, actually he, what do you have? Like 500 posts started that he hasn't published yet. Like they're either not complete thoughts or, you know, he's waiting for the right time for them to come out. There's no shortage of things to say. So I was totally on board with the retiring early. I just thought the, the blog would be, you know, fizzle out and die. Yeah, I love that story because I thought she would think I'm insane. I come out of the, my office with this crazy idea. Hey, I'm going to quit work in four years or whatever. And she's like, oh, okay. That sounds great. But the blog, no, that's a terrible idea. So, And now I have my job do, what, 100%, 98% in yeah. part to actually uh, the blog. Yeah, she would not have her dream job, which provides us with lovely <laughs> good health insurance without the blog that she suggested that I do not start. Yeah, I met them. I had never heard of them. Because it didn't occur to me to look online to answer questions about real estate because real estate is so competitive. And I'm not going to tell you about this really awesome deal. I'm not going to ask for your advice about this really awesome potential deal because you're just going to go steal it from me. So that's always been like local real estate has always been really competitive. I never would have assumed that you could go online and ask people questions and they would answer. And then that's what I heard about this company at this FinCon, this bloggers conference that we go to. And I'm like, wait a second, people talk about real estate online? That's amazing. And I went and I, I started participating and then they had this job posting and I'm like, I, I was really mad when they first posted the job because it was a perfect fit for me. It was everything I ever wanted to do. And I still had a four-year-old at home who hadn't yet started kindergarten. She wasn't going to start, this was like May and she wasn't going to start kindergarten until that September. And I thought, well, I can't work. I'm a stay at home mom. So, but I, I finally applied anyway. And, uh, they worked with me to, to work part-time over the summer until I could get their, 
um, full time after the baby was in school. I guess she's not a baby anymore. She's in second grade. <laughs> gotcha. So for, for our listeners that don't know, I'm going to say Carl and Mindy run the blog www.1500days.com. So that's the blog they're referring to when talking about when they made this goal to, re- to uh, retire early in 1500 days. So let me back up a little bit. When you started that, you had a net worth of about five, 580000 right? Close to six hundred. Yeah, and what I should say about that is back then I didn't include my home equity in there. So at that time we had $150,000 in home equity in addition to that $586,000 number. So Gotcha, gotcha. So transparent. So back up maybe to to the beginning of your investing. Did you start with with the stock market? I saw that you did some single family flips. Kind of talk about how you got started in the investing world. Yeah, we did two things. And uh, when I say some of this, uh, don't do as I did do as I say, because my uh, my strategy has changed a lot. So I think I mentioned I was a computer programmer, so I was always obsessed and very focused on technology. And uh, from a stock market perspective, that caused me to buy certain stocks that, that have done very well. So uh, the, the greatest example of this is Google, which I bought in August 2004 when it IPO'd. Uh, it IPO'd at $85, and now it's uh, it's since split, so $42.50 would be the basis, and I think it's like $1,000 a share now. And I still have most of those shares. We bought we bought Amazon a long time ago, Facebook, and, and Tesla Motors, and I've held on to almost all of these. We had Apple for a long time, too. So I, I bought individual stocks, and it was the things I was familiar with. Um, at the same time, you mentioned the house flipping. We also did that. And uh, the story behind that is uh, I bought my first house, and it wasn't in perfect shape. It was an okay shape, and uh, it, it had some plumbing issues, and we had called a plumber to come fix the thing, and the guy just just never showed up. So I kind of wanted to spite him in case he did show up. So I'm like, I'm just going to figure out how to fix this thing myself. So I did, and it turned out it, I, I was a white-collar guy. I'd never done much with my hands. So he called a week later, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sorry. You didn't show up, so I, I did it myself, whatever. <laughs> so that inspired me to start trying other things. Uh, we learned how to tile. Uh, we learned how to do basic plumbing and hang cabinets, all this stuff. So we went to sell this first house. And all of a sudden, we were making $100,000 profit. And it was all tax-free, too. The IRS, two out of five-year tax rule, which might change. But what it is now is if you own your home and live in your home for two of the past five years, you pay no capital gains up to 500,000 for a married couple and 250 for a single couple. So at the time, single person. yeah, single person. I'm sorry. Did I just <laughs> say single couple? <laughs> yeah, marry yourself. I didn't mean to say that. Um, but anyway, we looked at each other and we're like, Hey, let's do this again. Let's find some other like old kind of rundown house, cosmetically ugly and fix it up. And we did it I don't know, five or six times. And so we would stay there. How many times? Eight. Oh, okay. So eight times. <laughs> I've done it eight times. You may have only done it seven times. Yeah, some of them were smaller than others, but it worked out really, and there goes our phone. It, it worked out really, really well because uh, we were living in the house at the time, and we would just come home from work and work on the house or work, work on the house on weekends and sell these things two years later and make a hefty profit all tax-free. We would either put the profits into another house or – or stick them in the stock market. And that's kind of what built the core of our nest egg. It, and you know, it, it wasn't all great. It was, it was uh, when you're doing drywall work, there's drywall dust everywhere. So 
there are definitely times where we yelled at each other and there was misery there. But uh, yeah, in the end, I think it worked out well. I wouldn't have done it much different, except for maybe our current house, which uh, we took on too much. And were those houses all in the same geographic area, or did that involve some 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 moves, some bigger moves? Yeah, most of them were in and around Chicago, like Oak Park and Geneva, Hoffman Estates. We did one in Wisconsin, um, to Chicago, Carroll Stream. And our current house here in Colorado was a fixer-upper, too, a major fixer-upper, which this is the one we probably should never have taken on with kids, but we did anyway. And it's fine now, but there was a it was a tough four years. So, so initially you kind of fell into this. It wasn't necessarily the plan on the first house. Yeah, that's correct. It was nothing we planned for. We just uh, we made all that money and we're like, hey, we we gotta do this again. Instead of watching TV on the weekend, let's hang cabinets and install, replace the pink toilets with white toilets and make some money off this. And now, are you done? Are you done in the single housing space, or do you, what else do you have in? in uh, real estate yeah we do do real estate investing but now we're kind of behind the scenes investors um what we learned with this is when you have two small children it's very difficult to flip a house it took us uh about four years to do this one and uh without kids i probably could have had it done in six months six or eight months maybe so we're done for now if we saw a good deal we might do it and hire out some of the work but uh Deals are few and far between in our neck of the woods. Real estate market is super hot, so we haven't been actively looking. Sure. So let me ask you a couple questions uh, about your specific investment. So in your investments, you value it at about $1.5 million. And that's split, split pretty evenly between stocks and real estate, right? 50-50, give or take. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's correct. We're and right now. Yeah. So... Your biggest, let's just kind of start with the stock market, I guess. Your biggest single stock is Facebook. And of about 750, 770,000 to be exact, you have 250 in Facebook. Yep. How, you know, how come so much? Does that make you nervous? Does it not? Because it went up so much. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting story. That was a company I followed before they went public. And uh, so when that one went public, the big knock against it was their earnings don't justify the valuation. And of course it didn't, because if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg, at the time Facebook wasn't really monetizing their platform. So of course the, uh, the valuation did not justify, the earnings didn't justify the valuation. But my hypothesis was as soon as they start turning the monetization screws, this thing is going to make money. So what I did is I committed myself to buying 1,000 shares at IPO, and I IPO'd at about $42. So I did that. And then all of a sudden, it dropped into the teens, or like, I think I bought another 1,000 shares around 20. So overall, I spent $60,000 on 2,000 shares. And I've since sold some of them. I think I've got about 1,500 shares left. But uh, yeah, it makes me nervous seeing that big number, but that's not the number I, that's nowhere near the number I bought them at. I bought it at, so that's the story behind that one. And this is a kind of interesting problem to have. Oh, boo-hoo, total first world problems. But we've actually had several stocks that did that. We buy them initially at a relatively low value, and then they just shoot up. What did we buy Apple at? Yeah, Apple, I bought it when the iPhone was announced in January of 2007, and I think it was like 12 or $13 back then. Oh, was it that low? Yeah, it was pretty low. I don't, so, don't and, quote me. I don't remember the exact number. Yeah, and then it goes up. At one point, it was 
our entire portfolio because it had increased so much. And it's, you know, it's a problem. Do I sell it? I don't want to sell it because it might go up more. It's continuing on this big streak. On the other hand, I don't want such a large percentage of my portfolio in one stock, see Enron investors. Um, so I don't want to sell it when it's going up, but I don't want to keep it either. So it was kind of difficult for a while. And that's where we're at with Facebook. Now we've actually divested ourselves of uh, all Apple stock that we own just by ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I imagine Facebook will eventually go that way. And Google's really hard to sell. Gotcha. It's easy to sell. It's hard to say goodbye to. <laughs> so just continuing here in the stock. So your, your top five holdings, Facebook, 250, VGT, which is Vanguard Information Technology. It's an ETF at about 90. And then you have Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, Google, and the S an S&P 500 fund at about 70 grand each. So you're pretty heavy in uh, in single stocks. How come you guys have chosen that direction versus mutual or index funds? Yeah, and uh, I think I was saying this in email before. This is, uh, I haven't bought a stock in a long time. It's probably been four or five years since I bought a single stock. So this is uh, a callback to my previous thought. And I'll admit to something, when I started the blog, I didn't even know what an index fund was. So, yeah, it's, I have to pinch myself now to, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't really know what an index fund was and I knew technology. So that's what my investing um, centered around. But now when I, when we put new money into the markets, it's either into index funds or a real estate investment. If there's something good out there, if you would have talked to us six months ago, we had a significant amount more in in index funds but we've moved that to real estate it's in a pre-tax account so we can move it around without big without any tax hits so we've kind of moved away from the stock market into into real estate but yeah i'm a big believer in index funds now it's uh the thing is i love technology and i hate it because uh it's, it's what i know and i love thinking about the future and i love these companies but at the same time they're very disruptable who knows if Google or any of these companies I have will be will be around in a decade, much less five years from now. You mentioned that you had some of these in some pre-tax accounts. So was this money that you'd set aside in when you were working before in pre-tax accounts as you've been able to roll forward in different investments? Yeah, that's exactly it. There are 401ks that we rolled over and we've... Uh, uh, when I, in my last couple of years of work at a corporation and that allowed me to borrow money away, uh, you can do a healthy match. It's all out of your own money, but it means you can put more money into the account. So, and you could direct it more freely too. You can put it into individual stocks if you wanted to. So, and we eventually opened up a self-directed solo 401k, which is a 401k that allows you to invest in other things like real estate and, uh, small businesses, things like that. Awesome. So let's get a little bit into your real estate. You've got a little bit of money in a trailer park that you're part owner, and then you've got several private loans and then several syndication deals that you've participated in. Do you want to kind of give us the background story on, on getting involved in each of those as a whole and then kind of where you're at right now in your real estate investing? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll say something. Um, many of us have more about this to say than I do, but we've moved money over there because uh, I don't call myself a market timer. I dread it when people say I'm moving to cash. 
However, market valuations are pretty high now. So if I see opportunity elsewhere where I think I can earn a solid 10% for the next decade, I'm moving my money there because I don't think the stock market will do that. We've had such an incredible run. And you also have people like Warren Buffett or John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard. Returns aren't going to be the same as they were. Or I don't have a high I don't have a high degree of confidence that they'll be the same. So that's caused us to move more money into real estate. Do you want to talk about these? Or? Uh, so with the private loans, we'll talk about the private loans first because the trailer park hasn't technically closed yet. Um, but will, what, the January 2nd, I believe. Um, the seller wants to wait until the new year to close on that. But uh, regarding the four private loans, I have uh, a friend who invests pretty heavily in real estate. Our current local market is has really caught on that tear. And there's just nothing affordable. Nothing really makes sense here. But my friend's local market isn't on the same tear that ours is. So he was looking for a private loan. I was looking for a place to put my money. And the he's as close to a sure bet as you can get without, I mean, nothing's a sure bet, but you know, you, if Warren Buffett asked you for a hundred thousand dollars, you'd give it to him in a heartbeat because he's a pretty sure bet. And uh, so is my friend. Um, and every time he needs a property now, he calls us up. Hey, do you have any money? Sure I do. How much do you need? Well, I need this much. Okay, great. We get a first position lien on the property. We are paid 10% interest and we don't charge any points because he is such a sure bet. We don't feel a need to charge points because then that keeps him borrowing money from us. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Cause he can go anywhere and get the 10% rate with three points or 12% to two points or, and a point is 1% of the loan paid up front as like a fee. So for a hundred thousand dollar loan with one point, that's an extra thousand dollars that he doesn't have to pay or, you know, two points he's not paying. Um, and I'm making 10%. You, you can't, that's like a guaranteed 10%. Where are you going to get a guaranteed return like that? Um, the syndication deals are where we give money to a, a syndicator. He's a guy who finds a really big apartment complex. Maybe it's $16 million. He doesn't have $16 million. So he goes to several other people and we pool our money together to buy this deal. It's a rundown is maybe not the right word to say. Well, some of them are rundown or they're undermanaged or mismanaged. So they see opportunities for improvement. And then they go, they fix up the properties. They, I mean, they might be 300 unit apartment complexes that they fix up. They make the units look nicer. They make the exterior look nicer. Maybe they add amenities. Um, and then that $16 million they spend a million dollars getting it up and running and then they sell it for $20 million. They split the $3 million profit with all of the people who invested in it. So that's just another way of investing in real estate without dealing with tenants and toilets. Um, and then the trailer park, we are going to be part owner with uh, two partners of a trailer park in the state of Maine, wow. right outside of Bangor by Stephen King's house. <laughs> Sounds like a good uh, Stephen King horror story, actually. Maybe. I hope it's not a good Stephen King horror story. <laughs> the trailer park in winter. <laughs> so on your on your private loans, are those for flips? Or are they short term, long term? 
uh, they're right around a year. Yeah, usually they're a year or okay. 18 months. So. so I'm not sure if you consider that short-term or long-term. They are for flipping, primarily. Yeah, he's got a season on the property. The bank won't give you a loan until the property season. So that's why they have to go to private money. And, gotcha. Uh, I like those because the worst case scenario is they default and then you get the property since you're first lien holder. So another thing that Mindy didn't mention is we look at the loan to value ratio. So we look at like a 65% or lower loan to value ratio. So in a worst case scenario, then we did have to repossess it. We know we could get it and still make money off it if we had to sell it ourselves and go through that. Gotcha. And is all this real estate investing kind of been in the last five years? With the syndications and the private loans? Oh, yeah, that that part has been. We concentrated mostly on getting our current home uh, primary residence finished up. We rehabbed and took it from a two-bedroom, one-bath, one-story house to a two-story house with four bedrooms and three bathrooms. So there was significant uh, square footage that we added to it. And then we have a hard time finding contractors who will do what they say they're going to do for the price they say they're going to do it on the timeline they say they're going to do it in, um, which is like everybody else who's doing rehab work. It's difficult to find somebody who's who can do quality work. Um, so we just do the work ourselves. But when you're doing it yourself, it takes longer because you're you know squeezing it in around your job and your kids. So once we got the house all done, I said, okay, now what's next? Let's, let's do some more. We started looking at the local market and it was just so overpriced that it was, it didn't make any sense to invest locally. Gotcha. So you guys have done a lot in real estate. Let me ask you from, from a listener's point of view that maybe hasn't done so much, where do they start? Do they start with single family? Do they start with a duplex? If it's a syndicated how do they go about finding something like that? Where would they start? Um, I would personally recommend somebody who's never done real estate before. I would recommend that they start small. We do live in flips, which means we live in the home while we're rehabbing it. Yeah, it's a mess. But if something goes south, I'm still, I'm in my house. I'm working on my house. So if I lose my job, I don't have to worry about losing two properties. I you know, I can cobble something together to continue to have that one property. If it takes longer to do the flip, you still have to live someplace. So um, if a live-in flip isn't your ideal, maybe uh, something called house hacking would be a better option where you buy either a small multifamily property or a single family property that has more space than you need. Um, and rent out the extra space. You could buy a duplex, which is two units stuck together, or a triplex, which is three, a, a fourplex is four. It's not really got a clever name. Um, and if you go up to four units, you can still qualify for a residential loan. That means a residential mortgage. You, It's like a regular house mortgage. Five units and above is would be commercial units, or a commercial loan, which is different. A residential mortgage is based on you and your ability to borrow. And a commercial mortgage is more based on the property itself. So depending on your, um, your finances, maybe a commercial loan would be better. Maybe a fiveplex would be better. But then again, you're starting to get into, you know, the commercial banker is going to look at your experience. Um, I don't think the first thing you should buy is a hundred unit apartment building. You probably don't have the money for it. 
but you also like you're buying yourself a job unless you have a property manager and then you know it's still a whole big ball of wax start small with something that's easy to manage and if you have a rental property that you know maybe you can't find a tenant right away if you can still afford the mortgage then it doesn't matter that it sits empty for a little bit you know eventually you'll find somebody who can rent the property out but definitely i would say start small um, until you get your feet wet and understand because you would not believe all the weird things that come up in you know a regular rental property or in a flip like there's always something weird you open up a wall and you're like oh that's I've never seen that before and it's you know <laughs> knob and tube wiring or aluminum wiring that you didn't know was there um so yeah I would definitely say start small and uh get your feet wet um there's this website called Bigger Pockets that'll give you all the information you need to invest <laughs> in real estate. And the basic membership is free and always will be. There you go. There you go. If that's not a plug, I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, no, that was just, and it's just, you know, it's information about real estate investing. If you're interested, you know, they've been around for 13 years, I think. There's so much information there. If you have a question, they can, you can find an answer. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Bigger Pockets is a great form. So let me ask about the dynamic between you two. You're obviously both knowledgeable about your financial position, about finances in general, about investments. Has that always been the case or, or how have you guys been able to work together and how has that helped you guys both in your relationship and financially? Uh, we're both cheap, so that <laughs> works out really well. Um, I say that as a joke, but it's really not a joke. Like we're both really frugal people. And I think that's really important when you are deciding to go down this path. If you have somebody who wants brand new clothes and a brand new car and a new iPhone every time they have one and, you know, wants to go on fancy vacations and, and, and you're going to have a hard time steering them towards your path of financial independence when they have no interest. Um, so it, it really helps that we were on the same page from the beginning we never really talked about money, which I would recommend people do uh, before they get married. But you also kind of know how the person is with money when you see that they use coupons on dates. And, um, you know, we do a lot of free things like, well, hey, let's go on a bike ride. Well, that doesn't cost anything. We're not going out to the clubs and going drinking, going out to dinner every single night. Um, and then how has it helped our relationship? We've always been cheap. I don't know. We just, we really did along well. So yeah, it helps if you both have the long term in mind. Like I think our, our absolute low point was uh, we were living in the current house and it was before we put the addition on. So we were living in about 800 square feet and it was like, it was super cold for some reason. It was like 10 below zero and we were doing drywall work. So the whole house is covered in drywall dust. We've got two kids. So it was pretty miserable. And then one day in the middle of January, the furnace decides to die. We wake up and it's like, 50 degrees in the house and we can see our breath like oh this is terrible uh, i forgot about that <laughs> i, I, I locked it out I, I could utter some profanities now but this is a family podcast so so i won't go there. But, <laughs> but the thing about it is uh, i remember i was mad and angry and a little bit distraught but i don't think mindy really was well i'm sure she was a little bit but we never ha had a big fight we just kept on thinking about the long term like it's pretty miserable right now, and this completely sucks, but in a couple of years, it's going to be worth it, as long as we can keep that in mind. It's all going to be okay. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. So I where think, do you guys go? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that the biggest 
strong point is that neither one of us flips out at the same time the other person is flipping out. <laughs> like he said, he flips out and I was kind of calm. And there's other times where I'm flipping out and he's calm. And it, I don't know how that works. Yeah, it's I guess we're just lucky. It's mostly her flipping out. I'm, I'm the calm one. <laughs> I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. Yeah, I'm going to flip out on yeah. you. Turn off this recording. <laughs> there you go. So where do you guys go from here? Are you, you're looking to maintain your allocation at kind of 50-50 or, or, you know, where, what are your changes? What do you think? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. I probably think about that about 30 times a day. Not that I think about money too much or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I like to say I go where the opportunity takes me. So now I think the uh, – the markets are pretty are probably a little bit inflated. So, if there's good opportunities to invest in real estate, um, my next fifty thousand dollars going into the next syndication deal. On the other hand, let's say the market took a huge drop tomorrow, like forty percent. If that happened, every dollar that comes in from these deals, because these syndication deals and these private loans pay monthly or quarterly, I'd put that back into index funds. So that's the short term. As far as the long term, we've always talked about buying more real estate. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that'll manifest itself. For a while, we were trying to buy something locally. We had our eyes on a fourplex. We sent all these letters out, yellow letters they call them in the in, in the biz, and uh, we got some fish on the line, but we couldn't we couldn't reel any of them in. So maybe that'll happen sometime. But yeah, the long term, I'm not I'm not sure. I like the way we've structured things now, though. Because it's all completely hands-off. None of these investments I have to do anything for. Even though we're a part owner in the trailer park, it's structured in such a way that someone else has to completely deal with with everything. We'll never have to do anything with it. So, And there's a compromise to that, too. We're probably not making quite as much as we could, but I like that we don't get phone calls and that we don't have uh, people aren't flushing rocks down the toilet or whatever bad tenants do to their... <laughs> Once they get sick of their own landlord. <laughs> There's a lady on the site. She, heard, she had a tenant flush potatoes down the toilet. Oh, wow. And then she oh, went geez. up like, fixed the, like, big potatoes. She's like, why did you put potatoes in the toilet? I don't know. <laughs> Grown adults didn't even have kids there. Like, really? Mm. I, I do not want to deal with any foreign objects in the toilet. That's, that's my theme. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to deal with any yeah. domestic objects in the toilet either. <laughs> so do you have a target net so, worth or, or a passive cash flow goal? Just keep throwing it on the pile. I mean, that's that sounds so blase, but it's we've we've hit our mark, and then we exceeded our mark, and now it's just you know keep going. Now it's kind of a game. How much can we get? But we that's it's not like we're working towards you know oh we got to get ten million, we got to get twenty million. That'd be nice to have, but you know we've kind of hit what we've got already. We just need to keep it. Yeah, this doesn't sound very exciting, but uh, if, if, if you ever read about Warren Buffett, not that I'm anything close to Warren Buffett, but uh, he's lived in the same house for like 50 years. I think the house is worth like $700,000 or like, like that. And he's like, I'm happy with where I'm at. I don't really need anything else. And that's kind of where we're at, too. We'll keep trying to make more money, but I don't think we're going to move or do anything ridiculous as, uh, as a result, even if we do find ourselves with $10 million one day. So... But there was the NSX. Yeah, we, we, we bought a ridiculous car. That was my uh, my one luxury, I guess. My yeah, was, luxury, was, my car. That, you said that's one of the mistakes, or what other mistakes would you guys say you've made 
in your oh, investing no, that was life. A mistake. That was we did that on purpose. Yeah, um, that, gotcha, gotcha. April. Yeah, we bought an old school Japanese sports car, but as far as mistakes, <laughs> I would say buying. Well, we've done pretty well, but we could have done better. Um, buying a a big house, we lived in a house that was almost five thousand square feet for a while, which we did not enjoy. We bought two new cars, so I'm always looking. Like, say, I would have invested this money instead of buying this brand new Honda Element, I probably would have had like seventy thousand dollars now instead of a two thousand dollar orange hunk of steel in my, my driveway. <laughs> So, although that orange hunk of steel did go to Home Depot like 12 million times, yeah, it served its purpose, and we still have it. But what is it, 2003, 15 years later, 14 years later? Yeah, but had we invested the money and just bought used cars, we would have been a little bit better off. We did a we wrote an article about we had a Acura Integra that we bought from a friend for what $2,500 and then sold it for a thousand dollars. 100,000 miles later. Wow. So what was it, like a penny a mile or something? No, we sold for $2,000. We sold it for 2000 Yeah. No, I don't even know. Um, he's but, he's and, hiding that extra 1000 from you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want that 1000 <laughs> But, you know, and then we bought the Element for 13 17 19100 19, says the guy who doesn't think about money 400 times a day. Um, and it's it's still in the driveway. We're never going to get rid of it. It's going to die on us and then we'll take it to the junkyard. But that was $19,000 and we got what 165,000 miles on it right now. So a little bit more, but look at how much more it cost. I would say that buying two new cars was the, one of the biggest mistakes going to fashion design school certainly was stupid. Although my parents paid for college. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't come out saddled with any debt, but yeah, I should have studied business. That would have been a better choice. Or computers. Yeah, that industry's taken off. So last question for you here. Has the 4% rule in retirement served true for you guys? Or what have been your what have been the surprises, if any, during your, your short retirement here? Yeah, it's served. It's way more than true. But again, we're at the end of a very, very... Uh, I feel like everything is kind of inflated now. So... Um, I always try to think long-term, so I think, uh, like, long-term, we're going to stick very close to that 4% because uh, there's going to be some difficult times yet. I think we haven't even had a 10% drop since, like, a year and a half or so. I don't even remember when the last one was. So everything's been so healthy and doing so well. The 4% rule has been fine. So if there's anything that surprises me is how much more money we have since I quit working. I think we've I don't know what the exact number is, but I think we're we're way over a hundred thousand dollars since I stopped working. A hundred thousand dollars more, and that was only like seven months ago. So the thing I take from it is, I think I worried about it far too much. I think we're going to be okay. And let me confirm that. <laughs> I probably could have left my job far sooner. Let me confirm that too. So um, with my salary, I'm bringing in more than we spend every year. So he could have quit two years ago. Gotcha. And I tell her she can quit anytime she wants to. She can leave tomorrow if she wants. And I don't want to. I really like my job. Yeah, she, she doesn't <laughs> want to. The, the thing about retirement, too, is uh, I think the big misconception is uh, people, whenever I tell people that, they're like, oh, so what do you do, sit around and watch TV all day or whatever? Like, oh, my God, no. I uh, wish he would sit around and watch TV. <laughs> I wish he would slow down. Yeah, like, 
Like, no, I'm actually working. I'm actually coding. I'm, I taught myself a new programming language, and I'm working on a project. And what I tell people is this thing very well could make money. It could make far more money than I ever made as a working person. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it makes me happy, and I actually enjoy writing computer code. So I'm working, but my metric of success is happiness and not a paycheck. So there you go. What advice would you give to a 25 or 30-year-old? Oh, God, like... Don't buy a new car. Oh, there's so many inspiring people. So, like, we know one guy who bought a duplex, and he just bought this thing like a year ago in Denver, which is an inflated market. Oh, Craig, yeah. yeah tell them this story. Oh, so this is this guy is a like good Craig. example. Yeah, be like Craig. <laughs> so tell them what Craig did. Okay, so Craig bought in the Denver market. The common comment that you hear um, among real estate investors is that there's no money to be made in the Denver market. It's so overpriced. You can't make any money. There's no deals to be had. And Craig came in, uh, I think he's been there six months, less than a year. He bought a duplex. He lives in the basement unit and rents out the upstairs unit. He rents it out for like at the top level of rent that he could get for that, that property. Um, so he rents that out monthly. He lives in his bottom unit and rents out. It's a one bedroom, one bath unit. And he rents out the bedroom on Airbnb and sleeps on the couch. And he lets people know in advance that he's renting, that he's going to be sleeping on the couch. So they're not expecting the whole property. Um, he makes more money, more money or as much money doing that as he does at his regular job. He also takes his car and rents it out on Turo where it's like a yep. Airbnb for your car. Um, he rents out his car on Turo. He rides his bike to work. He doesn't go out to eat. He makes all of his meals at home and then just brings them into lunch every day. Um, he doesn't go out to drink. He doesn't drink. He, you know, uses the, the ride to work as his exercise. Um, and he's, I think he's making, I think he's cash flowing like close to a thousand dollars a month just by making these small tweaks. He said, you know, he's 24, I think he just turned 25. Um, he doesn't have any problem with this because he doesn't have kids. He doesn't, you know, and he's making so much money. He lives for free and then also makes close to a thousand dollars a month by making a small little tweak. Yeah. Get the snowball going when you're young. Some people listening might think, oh, this is ridiculous. There's no way I'm doing this. And if you have kids in a family, maybe that's true. But if you can get the snowball going while you're young like this, you don't have to do it for that long. Just get some money put away and let that money start working for you. For you, You'll be shocked at what it'll do given decades. So, And you'll be shocked at how small those tweaks to your lifestyle have to be in order to see significant growth in your financial well-being, wealth. Good stuff. Where can people get in touch with you or find out more about you? Uh, 1500days.com, 1500days.com. Uh yeah, his email is Mr. Fifteen Hundred at Fifteen Hundred Days. Mine is Mrs. Fifteen Hundred because we're clever. Uh, Mrs. <laughs> Fifteen Hundred at Fifteen Hundred Days. I am at Mrs. Fifteen Hundred on Twitter. He is at Retire in One Five Zero Zero on Twitter. Do you have Instagram? Yeah, but I don't use it that much. I'm, I'm not young enough, so I don't even know what my Instagram is. <laughs> <laughs> I could search on there so you could find it. Good stuff. And what are you guys excited about? What are you excited real quick about your your this blog going forward? Now that you've reached your fifteen hundred, you know, goal, what are you what are you tracking on there? What are you sharing? 
Yeah, the fun thing is to share the journey because there's what I found is there's like a billion uh, people writing about early retirement and financial independence and all that, but not many people have actually crossed over the threshold and done it. So what I find is the money is the easy part. So you, you figure out your numbers like we talked about earlier, and that's not that hard. Anyone can do that. The hard part is are, are the emotions, and I don't think uh, early retirement is for everyone either. So it's been uh, I, I to gain my footing in it as well. You can't just sit around and do nothing with your life. You have to find meaning. So I look forward to writing more about that on the blog, more lifestyle stuff and less numbers, which is uh, appealing to some people and not to others. But <laughs> there you have it. Good stuff, Carl and Mindy. Net worth of around $2 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.